This morning is the Sunday of Christmas, as Colleen mentioned earlier. And in this Christmas season, we are able to settle into the joy of this time. It has been a long year, and now we are in a time of short days and long nights with increasing darkness. And we've gone through the four weeks of Advent. Now we are finally able to celebrate the arrival of Christmas and the birth of the baby Jesus. Israel had been waiting for a long time, too. They had been living in exile for so long, generations, in fact. And they had been waiting and looking for the Messiah to come and deliver them. And finally, God has come to dwell among his people as Emmanuel, which means God with us. This season of Christmas is a season of promise. The shepherds received the promise of the angels. Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Messiah, the Lord. The prophet Isaiah proclaimed, For a child has been born for us, a son given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. In the temple, when Jesus is only eight days old, Simeon proclaims that his eyes have seen God's salvation, which God has prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory for your people Israel. Christmas is indeed a season of promise. And we are given promises today in the text from the prophet Isaiah. Let's read chapter 25, verses 6 through 10. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wines, of rich food filled with marrow, of well-aged wines strained clear. And he will destroy on this mountain the shroud that is cast over all peoples, the sheet that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. Then the Lord God will wipe away the tears from all faces, and the disgrace of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for him so that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation, for the hand of the Lord will rest upon this mountain. No more grief, shame, or death. Salvation, a rich feast, and the hand of God. Isaiah gives us quite the beautiful picture. And yet, and yet we don't always see this promise. This isn't new, Even when Jesus was still in the temple, after Simeon proclaimed that Jesus was God's salvation, he then told Mary that this child is destined for the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed, so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Jesus certainly saw this conflict in his own life, and the church has known it ever since. We see children starving because we humans have destroyed the land upon which their food should grow. Armies slaughtering the people they are charged with protecting. 
tyrants seeking their own power, wealth, and glory instead of caring for the people they are supposed to serve, mental illness taking over the lives of too many of our companions, death coming too soon and too often in a broken world where our bodies are still broken, our sin and the sin of others destroying relationships and hurting those we should love, and on and on it goes. The world is broken, sinful, and full of death and destruction. The evening newscast, morning paper, and social media feeds all display that brokenness before our eyes. So what are we to do? We have been told that God has come. Emmanuel, God with us. God revealed in us. God transforming and ruling the world but we still see a lot more brokenness than we see the presence of God. God has come, but we still need God to come. God has done a new thing, being born as a baby who will save the people, but we still need God to do a new thing in our world and in our lives. The kingdom of God has begun, but the kingdom of God is not yet fulfilled. This is the truth of the Advent season that we have just walked together. Advent means coming, and in the churches, it is a threefold coming. The first coming we celebrate on Christmas. It is the coming of God as the baby Jesus, born to a young couple from Nazareth, traveling away from home in the city of Bethlehem. The second coming is the coming of the Holy Spirit into our lives. It looks back on the coming of Christ into the world as Emmanuel. And it looks forward to the third coming when Christ will return. We celebrate this second Advent every year on Pentecost, when we remember the Spirit falling upon the church and giving courage and power to them to walk with God on what would turn out to be a very difficult journey of service and sharing God's coming with all who would listen. These two Advents have arrived. We see them. We remember them. We celebrate them. And we live in their power and their truth. They show us the kingdom of God in the world. When we look at these first two advents, we see God doing something radically new in the world. And this should not seem strange to us. God has always done something new when God has shown up. Abraham and Sarah were old, well beyond the age to have children, when God showed up and promised them a baby. And by the power of God, Isaac came into the world and from him descended the people of Israel. We all know that fire consumes and destroys everything in its path, but when Moses encountered God, he saw a bush that was on fire, but not consumed. Water is powerful, running whatever way it chooses, as we saw earlier this year. Yet when God brings Moses and the Israelites to the edge of the sea as they leave Egypt, God moves the water out of their way. People die at the end of their lives, but God simply takes Elijah up to heaven. In the first advent, the birth of Christ, we see God acting in new and unnatural ways again. The marvels of modern medicine aside, virgins do not give birth to babies, and yet Mary faithfully delivers God into our world. He comes in a way that is completely normal, the birth of a baby, and completely new, The virgin shall have a son, and you shall call him Emmanuel. In the second advent, we see God dwelling in and among his people, empowering them with a boldness they lacked, giving them the ability to speak languages they had never learned, 
so that all others could know that God had come. And yet these two advents are not enough to completely wipe the presence of sin, death, and the devil from creation and our lives. We need the third advent. The third advent is the return of Christ in glory. When Christ comes again, we are told that the promise of God will be completely fulfilled, not just inaugurated. So in this time between the first and second advents and the third advent, we wait. But we do not wait in despair. We wait in hope. We who have experienced God coming to us are a people who are characterized by hope. It is part of what defines who we are because we have seen God do new things over and over and over again. We have seen bodies healed, minds restored, relationships redeemed, the power of sin broken, and love blossomed. We have seen God act in the first and second advents, and we wait with hope and expectation and preparation for God to act again in the third advent when Christ comes again. But truthfully, it has been a long time since those first two advents. How do we stay hopeful that Christ will return? Paul has some important words for us. He tells us that because of the resurrection of Jesus, we know that Christ will bring all things under his authority. So let's read together 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who have died, so that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have died. For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will by no means precede those who have died. For the Lord himself, with a cry of command, with the archangel's call and with the sound of God's trumpet, will descend from heaven, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up in the clouds together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. The resurrection of Jesus is the foundation of everything we know about how we live now and the hope we have for the future. The Thessalonians were afraid that their brothers and sisters who had died before the Lord returned would not see the return of the Lord. Their death would mean that they missed out on seeing the Lord's glory. Paul assures them that Jesus' resurrection from the dead results in the resurrection of all those who live in Christ, whether they have died or are still living when Christ returns. Christ has risen. Once again, God has done something completely new. He's not just temporarily back alive. He is eternally alive. Death was powerful. Paul tells us that it was the last enemy to be destroyed. But now that enemy has been defeated in Christ's death and resurrection. We may not yet see the completion of that defeat. It often still seems like sin, Satan, and death are in control of the world. But we look backwards. We look at Christ and we see his resurrection, and we know that although we often see death in the world, death does not have the last word. If death was the last enemy to be destroyed, and we can rest in the hope of Christ's return, then the promises that Isaiah gave us are true. God will set a feast for all peoples. 
We will no longer see that some are strong and well-fed while others go hungry. There will be enough for all to eat and be satisfied. The shroud is a burial garment, and right now it covers all of humanity. But God promises that the shroud will be removed and death will be no more. All sorrow and grief will disappear because the Lord for whom we have waited will come. Because Christ is coming back, this raises a big question for us now. What does the coming of the Lord mean for us today? First, the kingdom of God has been inaugurated here and now, and we see what it looks like by looking to God and God's word. Jesus shows us what life looks like when you live in the kingdom of God as he lives among God's people, pouring love, redemption, transformation, judgment, life, and peace into the lives of the people he encounters. The same is true now. God continues to meet people and reveal something different and new in their lives, challenging them to be different as they walk through life with him. As people who live in the kingdom of God, we live in this way too, showing others the God who does new work in the world and in our lives. Second, we do the work that God calls us to do in the world as people who have hope that God is at work in the world and coming back. Jennifer McBride says it this way, We are witnesses to the near and arriving kingdom of God that breaks into, disturbs, disorders, and troubles the waters of our fallen reality. Expecting and receiving the coming Christ entails accepting Christ's judgment on our lives, personally and collectively, through repentance, by countering the forces of sin, suffering, and injustice in our world. This is a narrow path to walk because we tend to want to do either nothing and wait for God to act on his own, or to have overconfidence in our own abilities and underestimate our own sin. When we do that, we tend to end up trying to bring the kingdom of God into the world ourselves without God, instead of recognizing that the kingdom of God is here and that we are called to live in it as people who live under the authority and power of Jesus Christ. The work of Advent continues every day in our lives. It is the work of waiting in hope, repenting of the sin and brokenness still present in our world and in our lives, living faithfully the transformation that the Holy Spirit is breaking into us and inviting others to enter the kingdom of God to experience the new thing that God is doing. As we close today, we are going to proclaim together the Nicene Creed of the Church. This is a statement of faith of what the church believes, and it reflects back on what we know to be true of both the birth of Christ in the past, the work of the Holy Spirit now, and the return of Christ in the future. Will you please stand as we proclaim this together? We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father, through whom all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, He became incarnate from the Virgin Mary 
and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.